It's going to be one of those recordings, Evie. <laughs> you can't hold your breath for the entire three hours this story's going to take. What? I'm messing, I'm messing. How long will it take? Nine hours. Honestly, I've written like a hundred pages. And we're going to begin at the time of um, Neolithic peoples. And we're going to go all the way through till last Tuesday. We know what happened last Tuesday. Do we? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. What happened last Tuesday? (laughs) Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with This Story Begins on February the 11th. In 1466. So that's a very long time ago. But it'll be February the 11th next week. So it'll be the anniversary of this this person being born next week. Because it was indeed the day that Elizabeth of York was born. She was born in the Palace of Westminster in London. Because her father was Edward IV, the King of England. That sounds a bit interesting. Yeah, so unlike some of the other people we've covered, she was born a princess. She didn't become a princess later. She was immediately a princess. Mm -hmm. Her father had become king five years earlier, shortly after having Owen Tudor killed at the Battle of Mortimer's Cross, replacing the former king, Henry VI. So there was a bit of internal strife in England at the time. There were a couple of groups who weren't happy with each other and they were having a fight to see who'd get to pick the king. It was part of an ongoing war between two important groups of nobles, known as the Lancastrians and the Yorkists. York and Lancaster are where we are? We're we're near Lancaster. York's on the other side of the country. York's in Yorkshire, funnily enough. We went to York. No. No, in the car we travelled all the way to the end of the country. We went north to south. We didn't go west to east. So York is on the eastern side of the north. Okay. So you've got to go over the Pennines and past and like Leeds and that, Sheffield. And, and we went that way. Yeah, we went south. So we went down towards the southern part of the country. But you will get a chance to go to York. Aside from anything else, it has a banging steam train museum, which is well worth a visit. And the Viking Centre, which smells of poo, does. They have a, a, a Viking village. Cool. Which you go in at like a little... Um, it's not a roller coaster, but you in this little sort of contraption that takes you through, and they have authentic smells. They call them, so you get to smell what it would be like. Are there souvenirs. God, what is it with you, and Milo, and souvenirs? Okay, let's just get back to the story. You just now. want nowhere's a good enough attraction in and of itself, is it? It has to have a gift shop, otherwise you and Milo just don't care. No, I do care because it was fun. What was fun? We take you to the aquarium. Where's the gift shop? We take it you to the fun, zoo. Though. Where's the gift shop? It was fun. The problem with the Blue Planet Aquarium is you can see the gift shop from the entrance. You two just wanted to run straight across the gift shop. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Now let's get, just get back to the story. Anyway, yes. So Edward <coughs> had fought with Owen Tudor, had beaten him in battle and had him executed. He was eventually able to replace Henry VI. The ongoing war was known as the War of the Roses. Do you know why it was known as the War of the Roses? 
Because they were battled in a field of roses? It's a good guess, but no, it's because the symbol of the Lancastrian family was a red rose and the symbol of the Yorkist family was a white rose. So it was the two different coloured roses fighting. And to this day, if you look on the Lancashire flag, there's a red rose. And over in York, they still have a white rose. So we've stuck with those. Okay. The war had started originally because Henry VI had suffered a mental breakdown in 1453 that lasted over a year. So he he went mad for over a year. And obviously, when you're mad, you're not allowed to be king. Yeah. You remember when we talked about the French king who went mad and they had to lock him in his palace and brick up the doors in case he tried to run away. Yeah. Yeah, well, Henry had a bit of that in him and he went mad for a year. But by the time he regained his senses... The noble families had gotten used to ruling the country without him, and they were not happy for him to try and take his powers back. This squabble would eventually lead to around 30 years of fighting, with approximately 100,000 people dying as a result in battles or associated things like, you know, malnutrition because they burnt all the crops and, and things like that. So it, it killed 100,000 people, this war. Also, they could decide who gets to sit on the fancy throne. So, while Elizabeth of York was born a princess, there was no guarantee that she would remain one for very long. Because although Edwards won the battle, the war's still going. After the battle's over, did they just have another battle? Mm. Or is the battle from the from earlier still going? No, the battle battle would finish and then... The winners would take territory or they'd take hostages and then there'd be loads more manoeuvring and they'd try and figure things out. But once the tensions got too much again, they'd have another battle. So battles were happening all over the place. And we'll see a few more battles, don't you worry. But because of this unrest, when Elizabeth was four in 1470, her father was forced to flee across the Channel to Flanders when some of their supporters switched sides. So there'd been some manoeuvring, and some people who were supporting Edward suddenly decided, actually, we could get a better deal with Henry, so we're going to turn on Edward. And Edward found out just enough time to run across the channel to, to not get killed. Did he get... Did he bring his daughter? He did not. He didn't have time to... You know, you, sometimes you don't have time to pack. He had just the clothes he was stood up in. He didn't have time to pack his daughter or his wife or anything like that. He just ran. Elizabeth and her mother, because they'd been left behind, they sought sanctuary at Westminster Abbey. So they went to the church because the church was kind of... You know when you're playing TIG and you've got a safe zone or a den or what do you call it these days, you kids? Base. You've got base. Westminster Abbey was like base. So even in a war, if you got into a church and you sought sanctuary and you said you're seeking the protection of the church... No one could touch you while you were in the church. And that is why Elizabeth's younger brother, Edward Jr., was born in an abbey rather than a palace, because he was born in Westminster Abbey. The exile didn't last long, though. And by May of 1471, Edward had returned. He'd won back his throne, and he'd moved his wife, daughter, and new heir to the throne and son back into the palace, to which they were accustomed so it's more like a bit of a, a an extended holiday at Westminster Abbey. 
than anything else for Elizabeth. But still, it would have been a scary time because if they'd have managed to catch her, probably would have either kept her as a prisoner, like so that they could use her as a bargaining piece, or just or just killed her. So one less person who can create heirs and and muddle up the line of succession, yeah. isn't it? And also. Um, there might have been bombs outside, so it might have been a bit scary. This is pre-bomb times. We didn't have bombs. Wars were fought with um, bows, arrows, and spiky things of all description. Swords, spears, halberds, slightly smaller swords, sharpened pieces of wood. Were there other people in the church? Yeah, yeah. There was, like, the, the, the guy who ran the church. What would you call him? The bishop? Um, there were the priest. Were, yeah, the priest. There were loads of people in the church, and I imagine they still did Sunday service and stuff. So people would file in, say hello to the um, former queen because you know they replaced her again with Henry, and then file back out again, okay. which must have been weird. Don't, just ignore the former queen and princess; <laughs> they're just here for a while. Okay. But either way, during the fighting when Edward was trying to retake his throne, Henry's son had been killed. And Edward decided that he... How was he killed? He just died in battle. So he would have been stabbed or crushed or something horrible. Drop the microphone. That's not where we're ending the story. But Edward saw it as an opportunity because now that Henry's heir was dead, he could just get rid of Henry and they wouldn't have anyone to back. You know, if you want to challenge the king, you need someone that you can replace him with to be king. And he was like, if I get rid of Henry now, that he's not got a son and oh. heir, we're done. Oh. I win. Oh, they're, they war, are... War over. They are idiots. Because he has... Because Henry has a secret weapon. Elizabeth. No, no, no. Elizabeth's on the Yorkist side. She's Elizabeth of York. She was born into the Yorkist family, and this is a chance to finally get rid of those pesky Lancastrians. So her dad... We can't say that he had Henry murdered. <laughs> But Henry went into a prison, and within a few days, it was reported he was dead. So you read into that what you want. So, why was he dead? He just died. Maybe from starvation. Maybe from starvation. Maybe someone had just decided to... to Just, you know... Maybe someone had... Uh, maybe, maybe he died of drought. Well, he was still very... You know, in terms of mental frailty, he still shouldn't really have been a king again. Yeah, and also maybe he had trouble breathing. What, you mean someone strangled him? No, I mean... Oh, you mean he developed a respiratory disease and died within three days? No, I mean maybe some people had had put grit in the prison and then he accidentally sucked up some pieces of grit and they got stuck in his lungs. Maybe. I think it's more likely that he was quietly killed so that people couldn't try and put him back on the throne. Okay. And it worked, for a while at least, because it ensured relative peace in England for the next 12 years with Edward IV on the throne. Quite quiet by um, stand, you know, king standards at that time of, of history. You know, he had a little war with Scotland, as you do. Why was he quiet? Mysterious. It's not mysterious. There was just no longer anyone who could challenge the line of succession because that's where the problem comes when someone else thinks they have a claim. I mean, he did have to kill his brother. Uh, well, have his brother executed. And me and, I think, 
Ollie talked about that way back when. Oh my god, that guy is a total freak slash idiot slash... To be fair, Evie, his brother deserved it. His brother kept trying to incite rebellions against him. He, he had it coming. He did everything he could not to kill his little brother George. But still, he's a freak, an idiot and a bummer. He drowned his brother in wine, which was what his brother would have wanted, because his brother got to choose how he was executed, so that's nice. Anyway, we're not really talking about that sort of fratricide at the moment, okay? Because with the War of the Roses apparently settled, the Yorkists thought they'd won and that was it, it seemed likely that Elizabeth would be married off to a foreign royal family in order to strengthen an alliance or seal a new treaty. You know, standard reasons for marriage amongst the nobility at the time, especially princesses. I just want to say one thing. Hmm? I've heard of what an alliance is. Yeah, it's... a group of people working together. Yes, well, to seal those kinds of alliances, you'd often marry your kids together so you became part of the same family. And princesses were very important in that regard. If you had a load of daughters, you could marry them to, you know, royal families from all over Europe and then they'd be more likely to help you if a war came along. So that's what Elizabeth of York was looking at. She's like, I'm probably going to get to go somewhere like France or Spain or, ooh, I might get to go to Italy or Portugal or somewhere really nice Mexico! and Mexico! bit far at this time. I don't think we really knew about Mexico. We definitely weren't going there very much. And I think an, an alliance with the, the people of Mexico wouldn't have been that beneficial if we were fighting a European war. Oh, Okay. But it would have been nice, wouldn't it, as a change to be able to go across to South America, get a tan, yeah, enjoy some Mexican food. Mexican food. Can you grow fruit in Mexico? Oh, you can grow lots of different fruits in Mexico, yeah. Like what? Like fruits. I don't know what you want me to say. Apricots? Probably. Mangoes? I imagine. Bananas? Yes. Grapes? I think Mexico produce wine. I think. So yes, probably. Can we get off things that the Mexicans produce? Yes. This isn't a geography podcast. Yes, okay. You can you can tell me all about Mexican um, agriculture later. However, around Easter of 1483, Edward's health began to fail. He knew that he was dying and that his son, Edward Jr., being only 12 years old at the time, would need someone to look after him and guide him during his time as a child king. Because it's very vulnerable when you're a child king because other people think, I could probably take the throne from him. So what he needed, he needed someone he could trust. Someone who he knew wouldn't betray that trust. And Edward asked his younger brother Richard, this was the younger brother he hadn't had drowned in wine, he asked his younger brother Richard to act in the role of protector. Richard agreed and Edward died on April 9th, at the age of 40. Good riddance to him. Safe in the knowledge that his son, Edward Jr., now Edward V of England, would be looked after by his uncle Richard. Again, good riddance. And Edward V was King of England for just over two months. This was because Richard actually was lying when he said he'd look after his nephew. Because he wanted to go at being king himself. He thought he could do a better job than his older brother and he wanted his turn. So even before Edward had reached London, Richard intercepted him and arrested the people who were travelling with him, which included Edward's half-brother, essentially taking the new king as a hostage. 
Mm. This is a common sort of political manoeuvre. Take the child king as a hostage and then you control the kingdom through them. Once they reached London, Edward was put in the Tower of London with his younger brother, Richard of Shrewsbury, joining him a month later in June 1483. There was no coronation for Edward and no one was allowed to visit the new king or his brother without Richard's express permission. So he's got the king and the next in line to the throne now trapped in the Tower of London. The reason for him having the king and the king's brother trapped became clear on June 22nd, 1483, when it was announced that because the old king, Edward IV, had been engaged to marry someone else when he married Elizabeth's mother, all of the children of that marriage, which included Edward and his little brother, were illegitimate. They were illegitimate which meant, amongst other things, that he couldn't become king. Illegitimate children, born out of wedlock, can't become king. I can't become king. You were born in wedlock. Me and your mum were married before you were born. But it doesn't matter because we've got nothing that you can um, really succeed to. We don't have a title that you can take up. So, in some ways, it doesn't matter. Three days after declaring his nephews and nieces, to be illegitimate children, Richard had himself declared king instead, and he became Richard III. Edward and his little brother were seen less and less, until eventually they disappeared. Now that is mysterious. It is a mysterious, mysterious, mysterious mystery. But why did they disappear? Well, to this day, no one is 100% sure. The best guess is that Richard had them quietly murdered in the Tower of London in order to ensure that they could never try to claim the throne back at a later date. But we don't know that for definite. There are still historians today arguing about what happened to the princes in the Tower. It's a a hot historical topic. And I'm not going to opine on either side of that, except to say he definitely had them murdered. All of these political manoeuvrings left Elizabeth of York suddenly no longer a princess, because she was illegitimate, and with an uncle who almost definitely had her brothers murdered and was also in charge of her fate, because he was the king now. So he could decide what to do with Elizabeth. Drop the microphone on Richard's head. Okay. He is a terrible man. He He just wanted power. He wanted to go at being king and he felt it was his turn. And what's a few dead children if it means that you get to have your turn? I would rather wait my turn than kill children. That's good to know. And also, Hmm. Richard is... I'm going to use a bad word here. Mean. Well, shall we see if he gets a comeuppance? He'll never get a comeuppance. We'll see. All that's to say that Elizabeth was in an incredibly bad position, but it could have been even worse, as there was a rumour that Richard was considering marrying her to further shore up his claim to the throne. What? Yeah, despite the fact it's... will never marry Elizabeth. Also, um, this is just what I want to say. People that want power Mm. and to kill children a bad people. So Richard's a bad person. Right. Well, he eventually decided he wasn't going to marry his own niece, which is a good thing. Mm. Um, And he decided that he would have Elizabeth married off to the Prince of Portugal instead. 
Do you want to know what the Prince of Portugal was called? He was called Manuel. And later, when he became King of Portugal, he was known as Manuel the Fortunate. Good name. This was because Richard had annoyed a lot of people by appearing to steal the throne from his own nephew, and there were rumours that the Lancastrians were looking to restart the War of the Roses in order to get rid of him in favour of a grandson of Owen Tudor called Henry. Henry Tudor. So, Owen may have been killed a few years back, but his grandson now is going to make a play for the throne. (laughs) The only problem was, because if you remember, Owen Tudor was just a knight he wasn't major nobility it meant that henry tudor's claim to the throne was kind of sketchy at best so what he really needed was some way of improving his claim he needed something he could point to saying this is why i should be king i know what because his life is a bit sketchy he should buy some pencils buy a pad of paper and sketch to sell more to sell to sell some and then some peppy drawings some sketches that he'd done and then he can get some money and then he give it to the poor people. I feel like you've taken sketch quite literally. I meant sketchy as in not very good on shaky ground. I mean, the life of a travelling artist in, you know, Middle England sounds lovely. However, he was thinking more of um, a marriage pact. Now, Elizabeth's mother, also called Elizabeth, but known as Elizabeth Woodville, was understandably upset at her two sons disappearing. Being murdered. Being murdered is bad. And she saw Henry Tudor's plans for invasion as an opportunity to take her revenge on Richard. She made contact with Henry Tudor's mother and the two women agreed that the powerful Woodville family would support the Lancastrian invasion just so long as Henry agreed to marry Elizabeth once he was king. They hoped that this would both get rid of Richard III and join the two sides, the Lancastrians and the Yorkists, in marriage to bring the War of the Roses to an end for good. Because once you had a Lancastrian and a Yorkist marry and they had a kid, that kid would be both half Lancastrian, half Yorkist. So no one would argue about that person's right to be king. And they would be in the pink roses, because when you mix white and red, it makes pink. Well, th- what they actually did was they made what's called the English rose, and it's part white and part red. But I suppose you, you're telling the truth there. If if they were going to do it properly, um, and in, in keeping with the laws of botanical sort of um, crossbreeding, it probably should be pink. We should We should have the English rose should be a hot pink rose, shouldn't it? Yeah. I'm sure we could make an argument for that. I'll, I'll get in touch with British Heritage or something and we'll, we'll put forward that, you know, logically that's what they should do. But what that means was it seemed like Elizabeth was going to be a queen one way or another. But she was not going to have any choice about it because if Richard was able to beat back the invasion, she'd end up marrying Manuel the Fortunate, moving to Portugal and living a nice life on the beaches. But if Henry's invasion was successful, she would marry Henry and become Queen of England. And considering what we normally talk about, which do you think happens? England. Oh, that's a good guess. Well done. But at first, it seemed like she would be heading off to Portugal to marry Manuel, as the first attempt to invade 
didn't work because the weather was bad and they couldn't get the ships across. That's just a terrible excuse. You will find that a lot of times people have tried to invade England, the main barrier has been the weather. I guess England does have some terrible weather it at times. It does have some terrible weather, and these guys always seem to try and invade during the terrible weather, which is, I mean, it's on them at some point. However, after receiving the support of another king called Francis II of Brittany, he was able to have another go at invading. Although he didn't manage to invade England straight away, he landed in Wales and had to walk across to England from there. <laughs> that was because his grandfather, Owen Tudor, he'd been Welsh, hadn't he? And Henry was able to get loads of support from the Welsh. In fact, by the time he eventually did reach England, he'd got an army of around 6,000 men backing him. Cool. Even with 6,000 angry Welshmen, when Henry reached Richard's army near Ambien Hill, south of a town called Market Bosworth, they were still outnumbered two to one. Uh, so so that... Richard had an army double the size of Henry's. Oh, no. Yeah. So then Henry needs to get more and more and more and more people. Well, no, now it's about tactics. Because while Richard split his forces into three to attack in what they called battles... Uh, Henry decided to keep all of his men together. And this meant that when the third, led by the Duke of Norfolk, decided to attack, they actually had less men because they were just one third of the army and they got into a bit of trouble. Yay, so Henry's tactic is working? Well, Richard asked the second group, led by the Earl of Northumberland, to get involved and to offer support. But the Earl of Northumberland, he had a look at how things were going. And he decided in that moment, no, I don't want to fight today. And he took his third of troops and they just sat down, had a little watch. They weren't going to get involved, which was a massive game changer. Because that's, what, 4,000 men just no longer willing to fight for you. <laughs> oh, Richard, you were in so much trouble. He was. It, it scuppered Richard's battle plans. And in his panic, he decided to try and rush Henry in an attempt to kill him quickly to end the battle. And though a brave tactic, you can't say Richard wasn't being brave doing that. It was an all or nothing kind of thing. Either it succeeded or it went really, really badly. And it went really, really badly for him. He ended up being surrounded by Lancastrian forces and killed. Good riddance to him. I'm glad he's dead. Richard has gone down in history as the last king of England to die in battle. A scene later immortalised by William Shakespeare in his play, inventively titled Richard III. Not very inventively. No, he was good at a lot of things. He invented a lot of words, but in terms of especially his historical dramas, Shakespeare was very literal in the naming of them. Yeah, I mm. guess so. When news of the outcome of the Battle of Bosworth Field reached Elizabeth she would have realised that she was about to become Queen of England by marrying a person whose family and friends have been trying to kill most of her family and friends for over three decades. Now, that is bad. That is bad. What's a decade? Ten years. So for 30 years, the Lancastrians and the Yorkists have been going at it. And they're on opposite sides. OK, got that. So there will have been lots of her relatives who were killed by lots of his relatives and vice versa which could have made things awkward, especially as Henry and Elizabeth 
had not actually met yet. It had been decided they were going to marry, but they'd never met each other. But then how will she know... Know what? That, he, that she likes him. It's not about liking him. They have to do it for the kingdom, not for their own sense of love. I choose sense of love. Well, you're not a noble, so it's not... There's no pressure on you to marry anyone other than someone you love. But back in the day, this was to help the family. This was to help support all of your relatives and make sure they got plum positions can, and power and influence. Can Henry the Eighth got, got to marry... Needed to marry Jade and... Wait, I mean, the other girl. We'll could. get to it, don't worry. Henry's gonna, Henry VIII is going to pop up because when he was crowned, Henry became Henry Seventh, And what comes after seven? Eight! Yes, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. They did eventually meet, did Henry and Elizabeth, but they couldn't get married without agreement from the Pope as they were also related. I hate the Pope! Well, no, if you're too closely related, you had to get special permission from the Pope to marry. What's the Pope again? He's the leader of the Catholic Church. I don't like the Pope. They had to send a letter to Rome to get his permission. This was because they were related. And do you know how they were related? How? Do you know where the connection was? Your favourite historical person, Evie. They were both related to John O'Gaunt. I hate John O'Gaunt! I love George! John O'Gaunt was the great-great-grandfather of both Henry VII and Elizabeth of York. What? I hate John O'Gaunt. I love King Harold. He's at the top. Okay. Catherine's in the boys' section. He's at the top. In the girls' section, Catherine's at the top. Okay. Well, anyway, John O'Gorm was the great-great-grandfather of both of them, but they did eventually receive the permissions that they needed, and the wedding took place on January the 18th, 1486. Elizabeth then got on with the most important job of a queen, having male children. Boo! Having females are better. Boys could inherit the throne. You needed a boy. She gave birth to their first child in September of the very same year. A little boy called... Henry? Arthur. Arthur? That's a terrible name. It kind of reminds me of an old man called Arthur who slept a lot. Fair enough. On the TV show. What about King Arthur? If you're going to name someone who's going to become king, King Arthur's quite a famous king. Well, I guess so. Although their marriage was organised to end a war, over time, Henry and Elizabeth did begin to fall in love. They bought each other little presents and comforted each other when things went wrong. Henry probably also liked the fact that, unlike her mother or stepmother, Elizabeth didn't try to get involved in running the country. She wasn't engaged with the politics. Instead, she tried to present herself as a perfect example of womanly virtue. She was very religious, charming to all who needed to be entertained at the palace, and she gave very generously to a range of charities. I love her. She's a very nice woman. Yeah, and I like charities too. Elizabeth also liked doing home designing. Though as queen, she wasn't designing like, you know, a two-up, two-down house. She was redesigning Greenwich Palace, where her son, second son, Henry Jr., was born. So that's King Henry VIII? Maybe. Was born on June the 28th, 1491. It is, because seven seven comes before eight. It does. 
We don't know if Henry Jr. survives, though. He does. The palace was reported to have been made into the perfect place to host large parties, and Christmas with the Tudors was reportedly a very lavish affair, with massive amounts spent on the food and entertainment. If there was a kind of meat that you wanted, you could get it. And they had minstrels, they had jugglers, they had every kind of entertainment you could think of. It was a 12-day party. So much wine was drunk. I don't know if any Mexican wine was drunk, but definitely French wine was drunk. But I'm just glad that you weren't there. Why? You drink a lot of beer. I don't think they were serving beer. Good. Yeah. But you also drink a lot of wine too. I never drink wine. When was the last time I drank wine? Uh, at the New Year's party. I had, I had a little bit of fizzy prosecco, like and half a glass. And at Christmas. Well, don't shame me. <laughs> you drink beer and wine a lot. I drink beer a lot. I don't drink wine a lot. I very yes, rarely drink you wine. Do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Ooh, ooh. Okay, let's get on Very with the story. Very humbling to see how your kids think of you, isn't it? But a queen needs more than one hobby. And Elizabeth is also reported to have enjoyed raising greyhounds. And naturally, if you're raising dogs that like to race, she was also reported to really like gambling on them. So she would bet money on which dog would win. And if she picked right, she'd get more money back. But I guess it didn't matter if you're a queen because you have so much money to bet with. Don't go gambling, Evie. It's a mugs game. It's for idiots and queens. That's it. Okay? I'm not an idiot or a queen. So don't gamble. But I do bet. No, not for money. You can bet on things, but not for money. Yeah, not for money. Or not for anything that you couldn't stand to lose. Yeah. Like mince pie. I don't care about mince pies Oh, that we can much. gamble on mince pies all you want. That's fine. Yeah, I love mince pies. But you wouldn't get too upset if you lost a mince pie in a bet. Yeah, because if I won the other bet, I'd get a mince pie. Easy. This pie-based economy intrigues me. Can we use other pies as well as currency? Can we use porked pies as currency? No. How about meat and potato pies? No. I mean sweet pies, like... Just sweet pies? Yeah, like lemon cu- lemon pies, lemon, p- lemon sherbet pies, raspberry pies, blueberry pies. Not pumpkin pies. That's a vegetable. Wow. <laughs> Okay, very strict rules about this. So it's a sweet pie-based economy that you're going to sort out. Yes. I look forward to your time in the uh, the Ministry of Finance. As her children grew, Elizabeth took charge of their education and began planning their futures. For her oldest son and the heir to the throne, Arthur, not Henry, this meant securing a very good marriage. Elizabeth thought she knew just the person and she headed off to the kingdom of Aragon to meet with Queen Isabella and discuss the possibility of her son marrying Isabella's daughter Catherine of Aragon what are you doing? Catherine as in as in what? the one we talked about Catherine of Aragon yeah that Catherine of Aragon but she wasn't going to marry Henry she was going to marry Arthur the marriage contracts were signed and the marriage of Catherine and Arthur took place on November the 14th, 1501. But then, with everything sorted out nicely, good queen, good king, good heir to the throne. Heir to the throne's now got a wife. It's all going well. Arthur died. He did. Within six months of his wedding, 
Arthur contracted an illness and died. What illness was it? A bad one. No, I mean what type? Snotty rot. I don't know what illness it was, Evie, but it was one that was able had, to kill him within six months. If they months. had leaves this time, it would probably... They had the leaves. Tricks. Well, if they had these type of leaves... What, variated... Uh, yellow what? tips. I think it's more to do with the, the type of plant, but also medicine wasn't advanced enough for whatever this was. Okay. The news naturally devastated Elizabeth and Henry, because it's always sad to hear that your kids died, hasn't it? But it was reportedly Elizabeth who took charge and comforted her husband, reassuring him that he was the only child of his mother, but he had survived to become king. God still had left Henry VII with a son and two daughters, and both Henry and Elizabeth were young enough to have more babies. So don't worry about it, Edward. I know it's sad, I know it's a big loss, but you've still got a male heir who's going to become king after you, and you've got two daughters, and we can make more. Okay, we'll just we'll just get down with making more. Yeah. She demonstrated this fact, actually, by becoming pregnant again within a few months. She was like, in fact, you know what? I'm going to make you another one. We'll have another baby right now. I'll show you that everything's going to be okay, Edward. Don't you worry. When the time came to give birth on February the 3rd, 1503, <laughs> there were complications. Sadly, the baby didn't survive and Elizabeth herself developed an infection. So what did the baby die of? It just just died in childbirth. Not nothing particular. Just wasn't ready. Wasn't fully cooked. Wasn't able to survive outside of mummy's tummy. Without the benefits of modern medicine, there was little that Elizabeth's doctors could do. And Elizabeth of York died on February the eleventh, which just so happened to be her birthday. She's a terrible birthday present, if you ask me. I know. And you can imagine, Edward, he got the gift ready, all wrapped up in a bow. Little Henry Jr. He's ready to come in with the present for his mum. And then they went, no, no, sorry. Interestingly, though, do you need a minute? Okay. You okay? Okay. Interestingly, Elizabeth happened to die in the Tower of London, just like her two brothers had many years before though we can categorically state that Elizabeth was not murdered. We cannot say the same about her brothers, though, can we? Mystery. <laughs> Who knows? Still alive. Over there. <laughs> Losing his son and his wife within a year reportedly broke King Henry's heart. And it's reported that he took himself away to a solitary place and would let no one come and spend time with him Why? except his mummy because he was very sad he was grieving what's grieving mean it means he's um feeling sad about someone having died it's something that often people do they they take some time to process it and to come to terms with it but he went away and even though he's king of the country and he had a job to do he wouldn't let anyone see him except his mum in fact the grief was so bad that henry himself became very ill and there were real concerns at one point that he would die as well. He did eventually recover, but he never got married again. And every year, on Elizabeth's birthday, slash death day, he decreed that a requiem mass be sung. The bells were to be tolled. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And a hundred candles were lit in her honour. 
Henry also continued to employ her minstrels each new year, so that he could remember how much fun they'd had watching the minstrels. What are minstrels? They're just like general entertainers. They do singing, they do a bit of theatre, they do some dance. They might do some acrobatics, which is fun. When Henry VII died in 1509, he made sure that he was buried next to Elizabeth of York in Westminster Abbey, where they remain to this day. So if we ever do take you to Westminster Abbey, you'll be able to go and find them and see where they are. Because they've, they've stayed there. No one's moved them. Good. Unlike Richard of uh, unlike Richard, Richard the Third, he ended up eventually getting covered up by a car park. He was only found a few years ago. Yeah, they lost him because no one really cared that much where he was buried. I think he's now in Leicester Cathedral, but he he spent a while under a car park. <laughs> Henry the Seventh was succeeded by their surviving son Henry Junior, who became. Henry VIII and his nine? No, that's inflation. Six wives. Six wives. Nine. You said nine. No, I never. Nine wives. No, six wives. Became King Henry VIII, and within two months of becoming king, he decided that his mother's choice of the next queen had been spot on, so he married his brother's widow, Catherine of Aragon. Which, as we all know, turned out really, really well for all concerned. And they stayed happily married forever and ever, didn't they? No. No? No. Because she died. Divorced? Divorced. She got divorced and then... And then... And then there was Amber... Amber Lynn. Who got killed, yes. Executed. Then there was Jade, who died <laughs> of an illness. Jane. Then there was Jade... No, there was never one called Jade. <laughs> there was Jane. Anyway, we're not talking about those ones. If people want to listen, you did a full episode on the six wives of Henry VIII, didn't you? Yeah. 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 But this that we've just finished was the story of Elizabeth of York, a princess whose marriage ended a war and the only woman in history to have been the daughter, sister, niece, wife and mother to an English king. Although we should point out that wasn't the same English king. They were separate kings. So, the question I always ask at the end of one of these little jaunts into queenie history. Where does, where does Elizabeth of York's story rank on your list of queen stories? So, at the bottom there is... Well, which girl stories have we covered? We've covered quite a few queenie stories. We've covered the, the many queens of Henry VIII... We've covered Catherine of Braganza. We covered Isabel and um, Catherine Valois. Yeah, we did. Yeah? Yeah. So where does she rank? She She ranks right below Catherine. Right below Catherine? Okay, cool. She ranks... I mean, Catherine never stopped a war with her marriage. (laughs) Did she? No. Catherine didn't raise greyhounds. No. She just brought over tea. Yeah. Actually, scratch that, I love tea. I'm going to have a cup of tea now. What are you going to do? Find, find a little test tube to put my leaves in. Hmm. I'm sorry to say I don't actually have a ready supply of test tubes. I do. Should I be worried? Are you <laughs> no. going mad scientist? No. If you start building a Frankenstein's monster, <laughs> I'm going to have to put my foot down. I'm not going to build 
the Frankenstein's monster. Do you promise? Yeah, I promise. I don't even know how to build it. Also, I am not touching the, the, the organs of dead people. So, so don't worry, I will not build a Frankenstein's monster. Ever. That's okay, that's good to know. Well, is there any message for the potty peeps before we sign off? Yeah. What are you saying? Never trust Richard. He was a bad man, guys, okay? So never trust Richard. Strong words. Strong words. Bye. 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 Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.